All right, got to change gear. Books. Hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, episode 14. In this week's episode, we are covering Virginia Woolf's To the Lighthouse. I am Ryan, and with me is my good friend and fellow host, Jacob. Hello, and yes, welcome to Better the Bookshelf, our little book club, book cult, book podcast thing. I will say this. Yes. We're in Texas, so it doesn't fully feel like it yet, but today, I think it was like below 90 degrees. Yes. I'm starting to get into that fall, you know, kind of feeling to it. I'm with you. And I don't know if, if I don't know kind of where I'm coming from this, but fall to me just seems like a very, like when I think of fall... I think about kind of more like storytelling and 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 books or movies, and it, it may be yeah. crazy to think of that, but just I feel like I feel like we're getting in the best reading time of the year, hundred percent. Actually, a, from a storytelling standpoint, or maybe just the things that you think of from a descriptive. So, yes, I, this is this is this is going to be the the good times for the podcast. Not that not that everything up to this point has been the bad times. It might no. have been, but. It's it's been uh it's it's been a good week. Matter of fact, uh, our last episode, Bluebird Bluebird, um, we I decided to tweet at Attica Locke and uh, had some interaction with with her on Twitter, which was which was kind of cool. It was. Uh, cool. Ho- I hope that she you know listened to the episode. Hope she appreciated the episode. But um, she seemed she seemed absolutely lovely, and she seemed really excited about the fact that uh, that we had you know mutual East Texas ties. Uh, you know, us going to, to SFA and, uh, and her obviously being, uh, being familiar with the area and and her book being very centered in that. So yeah, that was, that was super cool. Um, you know, we'll do that again, I guess, uh, if we run into another Virginia Wolf this week on Twitter and see if she, uh, responds to us. (sighs) About that, maybe a little bit too late for that. She died in like 1941. All right, a little bit too late. But anyway, reeling it back to this episode. Yes, Yes. we're getting in the fall and we've got a, I, I'm jumping way to the end of this episode because I know we kind of, we, we've, we spent some time planning out our next few episodes. So we got a lot of books that we're going to drop on you guys at the end. But before we do that, we obviously have to cover this episode, which is our second episode of our highlight into female authors. We, again, little background, we noted that through 12 episodes, we really hadn't had any female authors. So we got last week, uh, Bluebird, Bluebird by Attica Locke, a more contemporary book. And now we're going to be pushing back a little bit, a little bit back a ways, almost about 100 years or so into the 20th century with this book. Yep. Traditional episode. We're going to give you a little bit of uh, background on Virginia Woolf, give you a brief summary, and then we're just going to talk about kind of our thoughts on the book. Uh, this is going to be a little bit of an interesting episode. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about themes this week than maybe we have in books previously, but I think that's important with this book because I think that was a big central thing that we both got out of it. Um, and, uh, yeah, after that, we're going to give you our patented three tier four, if we're getting rid of it five, if we're, uh, (laughs) hoping that it, it, you know, just gets captured and kidnapped and held for ransom. We wouldn't pay it. Uh, we don't negotiate with book terrorists. Uh, six, (laughs) we don't negotiate six. If the book is just going to be, we're just going to drop it behind like a shelf and just forget about it. It's going to get all dusty and cobweb, but I don't think we're going to reach that, uh, that approach yet. But yes, our patented, uh, bettering of our own bookshelf rating system and then uh we will spoil what's ahead and i think we have a really big kind of stretch of of good things coming up in in the fall and into the winter but uh i'm excited yeah you got to do the disclaimer i know i made a big deal about it last episode yeah so do it every episode now from now on if you haven't read the book 
go read the book because that's the point of the podcast. Uh, it is a book cult that you're joining, and uh, in order to participate, you have to read the reading material. It would be like uh, going to church and not reading the Bible. Um, maybe that's not an appropriate comparison given the cult. Uh, I just screwed that up, didn't I? Okay, uh, go read the book. Read the book, and then uh, come back and listen to the episode, and then uh, and then have a conversation with us. Pause when we say something you like, and, and just clap a little bit, or uh, pause and, and cuss at us when we say something. I'm very. I'm a fan of the like snaps. Yeah. Oh like yeah. We're at a very like we're at a very hip kind of like slam poetry session or something like I that. I dig it. I but, dig uh, it. Yeah. So let's get into this book. Okay. But first, let's get into Virginia Woolf. Very. Yes prominent figure in yeah literature. so I, i'm i'm gonna like really pay lip service to to her because uh she obviously is, is a, a huge figure in uh in modern literature uh so she was she was born uh in 1882 died in in 1941 um she is an english writer um and uh you know she's she's a big influence right now in sort of the feminist um well, yeah. big, sort of culture big time in that first wave yeah. I, don't, I don't know if she ever like qualified herself as that but like a lot of the things that she wrote about um just very very influential within that movement starting yes. in the early 20th century and and certainly we get themes of it in in this book for sure um she was also a, a bit controversial uh, she was sort of accused of, of, uh, well, not sort of, she was accused of anti-Semitism in some of her writing, which is the way that, um, she, you know, depicted, uh, Jewish people and, and, and Jewish life. Uh, ironically, her husband was Jewish. Um, and, uh, I actually, in, in, in my, my side reading, um, that I'm doing, um, I cannot, I should, and I should remember the, the writer, um, but it's, uh, Travelers of the Reich. And I think I've mentioned it before and it's, it's a compilation of, uh, stories, um, and really like a, like just snippets from people's like letters and, and diaries and stuff of like, as the Nazis came to power in, uh, in Germany and, uh, uh, it's from people who did not live there. So they, you know, a lot of them were English. There are a few American, um, but, uh, sort of what they see going on around them. Anyway, last night was really ironic, um, because I was, I was reading that, um, trying to make some headway in between books and, uh, Virginia Woolf was in the section that I was reading and, uh, her and her husband, uh, visited in, I, I want to say it was 1939. So, at, you know, height of, sure. of Nazi like, um, yeah, yeah. influence coming to power, like, you know, right as the war is, is really about to kick off. And, you know, anti-Semitism is rampant at that time. And her husband is, is, um, as it was described in the book anyway, sort of quintessentially Jewish. Uh, but nobody harassed them because they had a marmoset, like a, a monkey, as a pet with them the entire time. And, and the way that, that she described it in uh, one of her journals or, or letters uh, that there was a snippet uh, is that basically this, this monkey uh, could, uh, could melt the heart of, you know, any uh, God, what I wish she, she could say like blonde haired Fraulein or um, distempered uh, Nazi officer. And uh, so, yeah, basically they, they got around Germany um, under the radar just because they had a monkey and everybody focused on the monkeys, which I think that having, is that is very odd. It is. It, is it odd. seems like having a, a, a monkey would would make you higher on the radar. Just 
you would stand out, but yeah. So a couple other things to know about her, just in in general, is that she was uh, she's from a, a, a well-to-do family, uh, including sort of her anti-Semitism uh, accusations. She's also been accused of being a bit elitist, which you know probably um, not unreasonable. But I, I just I, I want to read this paragraph okay. from. Um, Wikipedia, because a lot of my research, I start here to kind of like get a, a kind of overview of who a person is. And this very first part of her like biography struck me as very familiar after I read this book. Okay. Uh, it starts, Wolf was born into an affluent household in South Kensington, London, the seventh child of a blended family of eight. Her mother, Julia Stephen, celebrated as a pre-Raphaelite artist, artist model had three children from her first marriage her father leslie stephen a noble man of letters uh who's basically like a philosopher or somebody who sort of writes like you know prolific thoughts um down okay. uh had one previous daughter of their marriage produced another four children including a modernist painter vanessa bell uh and uh it goes on uh about how the boys were educated uh in uh at university, girls were homeschooled in English literature and classics. Does that sound like maybe another family that you're familiar with? Uh, it sounds a lot like the Ramses. Weird, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I I read that I read that earlier today, and I was like, huh. I guess. Uh, I mean, art, it's not surprising. Art that, does imitate that, life. Yeah, that some of that comes through. But yeah, that is that is interesting that it would line up as far as just kind of the number of siblings and and things of that nature. Yeah. So. Um, like I like I said, uh, she is a she's a prolific figure in uh, in modern writing. Uh, certainly, if if you want to sort of bifurcate, uh, you know, women's writing and, and feminism and stuff, uh, she is she's definitely important. There is a ton of super interesting stuff about her and, and her life, uh, good, bad, and otherwise. So I couldn't possibly summarize her her entire existence. So I'll, I'll leave you with that tidbit um, that. You know, it seems like she very much does write from from her own experiences in life. Yeah. All right. This really quick and dirty summary before we get into just initial thoughts on the book. Okay. So at a very kind of overview surface level, and we'll talk about why this is just sort of a very overview surface level summary. To the Lighthouse is the story about the Ramsey family and their time together at their summer home in the Hebrides. Super simplistic. I like it. Very. I I, I try to keep my summaries pretty small and, and, and narrow like that so we can just kind of throw that out there and then expound upon that later. Nailed it. And now it's later. Um, yeah. I want to... I, I think the first thing we can do and get into this book is this is a book that I don't know... I don't know really where to like I we're going to put it on the shelf at the end or maybe not. I don't I don't know how, your thoughts on the on where this book goes yet. But going into this episode, I still have no idea where I'm going to put this on the shelf. Okay. It's a very perplexing book to me, uh, at least in the way that I view the books that I read and I've gone on record on the show a few times and just kind of like listing out the things that I'm that I'm seeking out in my yeah. books and uh, kind of what criteria that lends itself to on my bookshelf. Yeah. Um and this is a very difficult book for me to kind of reconcile with that because it 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 deviates so much from a traditional kind of character driven you know plot uh, type of a, of a fiction novel. It's yeah. very much it's it's all consciousness. It's it's very much a stream of consciousness book, and we're right. getting, we're given a lot of that, and that 
was a little bit difficult for me to get into as yep. far as like my my like enjoyment levels and, and pushing through on the book. Um, but there is a lot in this book in the same way there was kind of a lot in Blood Meridian, just little philosophical or psychological tidbits that you can take out of this that right. that, that make you think. And for that, I, I always appreciate a book that can allow you, regardless of what's going on, regardless of kind of the the plot or the the characters, the narrative, anything that allows you to kind of step outside of that mindset and think about things and relate to them. I think that's a really important process of reading too, is, is finding that, finding that tie in with the way that you feel about yourself or the way that you feel about others, or you view kind of relationships with others, especially relationships within your family yep. and things of that nature. And that book, this book did a lot for me in that regard. Yeah. So it's it's tough. It it really is because I you know I went into this book knowing very little about Virginia Woolf or or her writing style, knowing very little about the actual book itself. Like I said, it was recommended, and uh, you know I've seen that it had been relatively high praise pretty much across the board on it. Yep. And I can understand where that comes from. Um, I think that it very much comes from more of a analytical and literary side of fiction and yeah. less on the kind of side of storytelling. Um, and I think that there's something to be gained from both of those. I very much, I, I, I feel like I ride the line between them, but I lean a little bit more towards the storytelling side. So this sure. book, I feel like a lot of what this book uh, evokes as far as just enjoyment, it, it missed it for me. Yeah. And and I, I want to kind of just talk about that because I know a lot of what we're going to talk about today is kind of the themes and those little nuggets that are in this book. Because yep. like I said, there's not a whole lot of like plot direction and plot churn and movement and things going on. It very much is centers around emotions and like perceptions and just all of those things that work kind of haphazardly between this family unit and, and sort of the thoughts that, that go along that go alongside that. Yeah. I, as as I read this book, you know, it was it, it was everything that I sort of hated about college sometimes, right? Is is that you had to you have to read these these things that tend to be very dense that are frankly um mostly unenjoyable um because it 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 sort of helps you set a foundation for understanding um you know, the literature that comes after it, right? Yeah. Or it, it helps you understand just arts of, of that time period, right? And, you know, as as you go through and, and try to, you know, think about like the, the stream of consciousness, um, you know, concept, and if, if people aren't familiar with that, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean like somebody just sitting down and just vomiting a book um, onto, onto the pages and, you know, it, it is what it is. It's, it's really more of the, the concept of, um, exploring the sort of, you know, multitude of thoughts that people have at any given moment, right? So one of the things that sometimes in this podcast that's, that's hard to do is, you know, you and I know each other um, well enough to, to sort of take vocal cues and stuff. And we do talk a little bit before episodes um, so that we generally know the things that we want to touch on, right? But there are times where... Um, you know, you're saying something that I haven't heard before and I have to think about it um, and I'm having new thoughts. And suddenly, even while you're saying things, your, your brain, you know, sort of goes off yeah. in all these different directions, um, you know, uh, or, or something happens in the room um, that just catches, you know, catches your attention for a second. But you're you're sort of 
constantly pulled from you know the the things that are coming out of your mouth to listening to you to the dog knocking at the at the door to the studio um like you know whatever it is and and that's that's really more of what like the stream of consciousness stuff is you described it before the show i, I think perfectly how, how did you describe it it's just i i said it was kind of the it was an attempt to capture the way like our minds actually perceive the world because whenever you hear like or whenever you read kind of a normal story you know, it's it's very easy to sort of say, okay, well, this character does something and this character responds, and then we kind of get an overview of the thoughts and feelings and everything yeah. sort of as they happen afterwards. And that isn't really how human beings work, and that's right. not how we think. And so I think that sort of the purpose of stream of consciousness is kind of when you look at writing as an art form mm-hmm. and you say, well, art should imitate life, right. that you have that level of confusion within human interaction, within human thought, when you sort of inject that into fiction and within to you know within literature, you truly are kind of adhering to the idea that good art reflects life, right? Like the best pieces are the ones that you can you can sort of take things from. And I think that there's a double-edged sword with that because I think a lot of times, especially in a book like this, where there are there are not a lot of characters, but there's a good deal. And when we kind of sort of move very fluidly between their consciousness kind of throughout the entire, at least the, fr- uh, I've, I had more difficulty the first, the, the, the window, the first section of the book yeah, than I yeah. did towards the end. Yep. But it's just, it's very much, you know, in a normal, in a normal book, you kind of see characters sort of moving along a plot and a narrator just sort of follows it along kind right, of from right. a top down view. And the narrator sort of knows all they're omniscient. They see things, they know things about these people and it follows it along. And this book was very different. The people weren't moving. The narrator was moving. It yeah. was, it was kind of like the narrative voice was just sort of floating around from person to person to person, sort of taking in these little things that are happening. And so you don't really get a lot of you know, so-and-so did this, then this, and then the next day this happened. We get a lot of the same things, but from very different viewpoints. And this book very much is all about um, just sort of like defining, like how how defining like insecurities and defining like thoughts. And, and even just the characters themselves, we don't really get good kind of like descriptions of the characters except through the thoughts of the other characters, which right. I thought was interesting and unique in of itself. But I don't know. The other, you know, we did read Faulkner, which yeah. is considered another kind of stream of consciousness author. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a little bit different, though, because I felt like w- with Sound and the Fury, we very much got kind of a first person of that. Like whenever mm-hmm. we had Benji's chapter, it was mm-hmm. very much the lens of Benji. And I feel in this book, it's not as much, there isn't as much difference as far as like the, what we see in the characters. Their thoughts are, you know, we get their different thoughts, but we get it kind of from a third party. We get it kind of through that narrative voice, which I found was nice because I found it was a little bit more consistent throughout. Yeah. Um, with the exception just being the fact that there was a lot of, a lot of moving early on in this book. But I don't know. I think that. I, I think that the idea, and we haven't really delved into a whole lot of stream of consciousness t- like type of writing. Yeah. I really. find it very fascinating. I find it interesting kind of in theory and in practice. I think that I, I, I really dig the idea behind sort of portraying a more natural state of, of human thought or of kind of how we process the world around us because the at the core, you know, a story is sort of boiled down to the very basic element of of person A perceives this. And, you know, there's a lot of things that go into that for developing plots and things of that nature. And this book doesn't necessarily go into that too much. But, yeah, 
just the just the idea at the time of trying to create something like this. It is interesting, and it does delve into things that I find interesting to think about and to relate to my own life. But from a traditional kind of what do I want to get out of reading, it didn't check a lot of boxes for me, unfortunately. Yeah. Um. So I know the big thing that we kind of talked about were themes, and we can get. I know that we don't usually do like literary analysis on <laughs> yeah. this, but I don't think there's a whole lot that we would we would find like interesting and engaging to talk about if we didn't talk about the themes of this book. Cause right. so much of this book is just kind of like, what is it trying to say? What are we, what are we taking out of what we think it's trying to say? Yeah. So w- one other thing that I'll mention before we dive too, too far into that is that one thought that I did have, um, about like how, how I would explain this book to somebody who wasn't going to read it or hasn't read it yet um, is that it, it kind of reminded me of like, uh, like Picasso and like the, the whole sort of like cubist surrealism. Very much so surrealist and, and, in, especially with the language and the descriptions that we yeah. can get into that too. But and, yeah, and, I a hundred percent echo that. So like if, if, if you've ever seen a Picasso painting, especially, uh, some of the portraits he did, um, of, of women, um, they they tend to like accentuate uh certain you know certain things certain features about them he might study uh you know the way that uh that that a woman um uh, her 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 breast lay when when she's like lounging a certain way or her hair uh or her her lips or or whatever and um when you get into some of the more surreal stuff, um, there are sometimes, you know, elements of, uh, or cubist, um, when you get into some of these things where there's like an element of something that it looks like a, like it might be a person, but it's not necessarily just that it could be something else. And, and, um, when you look at it as a, as a whole, you sort of get this, this impression about, um, you know, the, the situation that, that is being depicted or his feelings and speaking of Picasso specifically, his feelings about whatever, whatever the subject is. And I I get sort of the same impression, you know, as, as I read this is that the, the point isn't like, here is a clear narrative. Um, it's, it's really like, here are all these fluid things that are happening around and Hey, here's this, this concept um, that is uh, that is important for for whatever reason, We're, and we should talk about some of those concepts in detail. And I and I think that at the end of the day, um, you know, you have you have writing that has aesthetic quality, and I think there are certainly aesthetic qualities to Wolf's writing. But when you know you're talking about just pure enjoyment from you know your average person, uh, that that probably isn't quite as persistent in this book as as some of the other things that that we've read. But there is intrinsic value because of some of the themes that she's got here, because of the fact that she was a woman in the 1920s writing this book. Yeah. Um, and for for everything that it that it sort of set up. So. You know, I, I think that it's it's important to understand that even though the book may not be an enjoyable um, as as a read or easy to read, there there is still value, and I think we agree that um, that there are things worthy of of talking about. Absolutely. Okay, so let's talk about them. Uh, do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? You go first. Okay, so one of the things we'll just stay on on the art theme um, that that I thought was really interesting 
is that you, you get it really with um, with Lily and her painting, and you also get it with Mr. Ramsey and his in his sort of obsession to be remembered for um, his philosophical writing, right? Sure. And it's sort of this this idea as of um, being remembered through art or trying to capture um, sort of a. Uh, a, a, a moment, a thought, uh, yourself, um, you know, through an art artistic means, um, even if that, you know, is scientific in the, in the case of, of Mr. Ramsey. And, you know, I, I sometimes I, I think it's, it's sometimes sort of, um, it's sort of haughty to, to think like, you know, I, like Mr. Ramsey especially is, it, 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 like I want to be remembered, or are my things that I came up with going to be, you know, yeah. persist past the next or, generation, or even just questioning kind of the life that he's led and whether or not it would have led to him having kind of the more memorable, lasting impact in his field? Yeah, and and you know, I think we all do that on 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 some level, right? We sort of memorialize. Um, Either you know things that we've been in, kind of like Lily is sort of trying to capture uh, this this uh, sort of situation in the house and and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um. And uh, you know, we all sort of think that that what we're going through, I think, is is like the most important thing. Um. And you know how how we're going to be remembered and. Uh, is there sort of a futility in in all of it, right? Um, like, is it is it just an exercise in in futility, or is is it an important thing for for people to do to to sort of strive to be remembered? I you know I think if you man yeah that's tough. I know that I can definitely see the side of from a fear aspect or maybe just from like an uncertainty aspect that it's when all is said and done in your life, you know, when you're no longer living, like, do you want to have some piece of you left behind, whether that's, you know, your family, whether that's, you know, works that you've done that yeah. maybe people have appreciated that will carry on. And yeah, it's tough. It's tough reconciling. I, I think a big, a big portion comes from that. Just that, that fear of what lies beyond, you know, yeah. your control of of who you are and what you leave behind whenever you're not capable of doing that. And the other I guess too would just be sort of the natural progression, you know, when we're when we're kids, you know, we don't necessarily care so much about what's, you know, super memorable or the things we do. Like we have those memories and then we have kind of our social circles and as sure. we get older and as we kind of progress throughout our lives, you know, those sort of things narrow down and they pare down to sort of the things that are really important to us, whether it's what we do, whether it's writing or art or photography or any other medium that we use to try to, you know, express things beyond just our own, you know, feelings at the moment, maybe things that we want to kind of last beyond that. And maybe it's part of it too, is just kind of, you know, having a purpose, right? Yeah. Like if yeah. you have something to leave behind, if you have something to kind of strive for, if you have something that others see value in, and, and seek that out, then it, it kind of creates a purpose in your life because it is tough sometimes to, to think about, you know, what is the purpose in my life? Whether it's, you know, I want to be, you know, I want to be a husband or a wife and I want to have a family. I want to be, you know, I want to excel at my job. I want to, you know, pursue all of these, you know, things that I'm incredibly passionate about. Like, what is the purpose of, of how you're living your life? And I think that having things like that, that you leave behind, having things that persist beyond you, 
can be a very like life affirming and, and life fulfilling thing. And I don't know if that's yeah. necessarily exactly what this book's hitting on, but that was kind of what, what I got out of it a little bit was this, it's, it's kind of the two part. Cause we do deal a lot in this book. We do deal a lot with kind of death and we do deal a lot right. with like the persistence of this family and, and just sort of all of these things that stem from kind of everything that's happening at the, at the first little bit. And so I think that death is in the background and just overall, just a passage of time. And I think that that's incredibly relatable on, on any level at, at any age and at any stature in life is the idea of, you know, how will people remember me? How will I, you know, lead a life that has, that has purpose and how will I, you know, what, what could I have done differently? I know that's a big yeah. thing now. Like even me, you know, being, <laughs> being 30, now you start getting into the age where you're like, Oh God, what, how did it all go wrong? What could I have done differently? <laughs> this way? It's like, ah, shut up. But you know, it's, 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 it hits on that a lot in this book and, and, and a lot even through just sort of the, the insecurity. I think if there's one yeah. thing that's captured really well, um, as far as kind of the, the jumping around in the stream of consciousness stuff is really, is really like insecurities yeah. because you see it from all the characters and how they kind of, how their attitude towards someone else just constantly fluctuates. Uh, I mean, the right. Ramses, for example, are just all over the place in the first little bit, as far as the way that they're viewing each other, oh, yeah. and the way that they're viewing their situation, their guests. And I think that that is, that is genuine. That is, that is a, that is a genuine representation of, of human experience uh, especially even like in relationships. And I know you're probably more familiar with that than I am because you're, you're married and, and all that. But uh, you know, it's just that, that was what I kind of took from it though yeah. with, with the, the tie in with those, with their art and their work, just being this like desire to have a purpose greater than, you know, whatever they feel they're doing. Cause you even see it in Mr. Ramsey, kind of his regret for being a, a family man or that maybe right. kind of what he's doing wasn't necessarily the purpose that he's supposed to be filling. He feels like he should be this, you know, acclaimed, you know, uh, person in his field and, and have all of these great works and stuff like that. And whether or not that's, you know, a reasonable reality or not, or whether or not you kind of even overlook the fact that it's like, Hey, you know, a lot of what your a lot of what your impact in this world is the children that you raise and the, the influence that you have on them and your family that, that will seemingly have a bigger impact on kind of your memory and what you present to this world than the things you write. But you know, that it's, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that. And you know, I, my wife and I have, I've talked about that a lot because you know, you, you get married and everybody starts, you know, like kind of poking you like, Hey, you guys going to have kids or yeah. like whatever. And you know, my wife and I talk about it a lot and you know, she, she and I both have, um, have a lot of things that we want to do in life and, and we enjoy spending time with each other. And, you know, for us, at least right now, like kids are not even on our radar. Yeah. And, um, uh, like, and we both feel at least at this point that it, that may never be. And so, um, interesting. Well, my, my, so my grandmother passed away uh, a month ago and, um, she's actually the, the one that, that I'm writing my book about her, her childhood in Germany. And, yeah. One of the things that's that's been interesting, um, like going through that experience and then kind of thinking on like, you know, what do you leave behind? Yeah. It's like, well, fuck, like if if we don't have kids, like what is sort of our legacy? And like what? Why is that even important? Why do I feel like and I do value that and I don't know why um, why it is that I feel like I have to. I have to leave, leave something, something behind, yeah. but like, you know, everybody in some way I think feels that. And so I haven't really like 
even in my personal life, sort of explored that. But as I was as I was reading this book, and I, I guess I just ruined my like you know best best thought about this entire book uh, early in the episode. But um, like that was the thing that like really kicked me in the in the ass when I was reading, and I was like, oh my god, like yeah, I get it. Like you know, you you do want to be um, you want to leave something that you know you can say you made your mark, right? Um, that you left something better than, than you found it, or you captured a moment that meant something to you or a place that meant something to you and, and, uh, you know, immortalized it for somebody else to look at. And maybe they don't have the same, you know, reaction to you standing there, uh, in that exact, you know, period of time, but maybe they, they, they see it and they feel something else or they at yeah. least get the, the impression. And, you know, that seems to be what, what Lily's trying to capture in, in, in her painting. But, um, but yeah, the inverse too of that, you, you see it with Miss Ramsey a little bit. There's just this constant, like, this is what my life is. And she, like she has in yeah. the same vein kind of regrets that, you know, she's kind of this hostess and she has, you know, all of these kids that she looks after and takes care of. And again, you do see kind of the contrast on the, a little bit, between her and Lily as to kind of like the, not the changing of the guard, but kind of this like two dynamic differences in, in women in that time, or at least that's kind of what I got from it. You have Lily who's, who's, uh, who's not as old as Miss Ramsey, but you know, unmarried and is very kind of like absorbed in her art and like her, her, her field and, 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 you know, a little bit some in kind of like love and, and compassion, things like that. But you do see them as like two kind of different, like you see it's just, well yeah. maybe not even generations but it's just like if someone on the same path kind of took different you know took different off ramps or or something like yeah. that that okay and that's that was another thing to me too is just this like contrast just get you thinking about you know wh- why you know we're on the path we are now and what it is that maybe you regret not that having regret for things is ever going to be super beneficial in terms of what you're going to accomplish in the future but it sure. is it is nice to reflect on these sorts of things yeah and, I always appreciate that. And there have been a few books that we've read. I know the Barnes book when we were talking about memory was a big mm-hmm. one for me in that. And this one too, um, just, just more so on kind of the insecurities that we hold and, and the way that it affects like how we, how we think about ourselves just day in and day out and how it even changes like over the course of the day and how like we, we think about the people that we spend a, you know, a vast amount of time with, whether it's our family, whether it's someone we're in a relationship with, whether it's, you know, children or other loved ones and things like that. And so, yeah. I don't know. I this was this was the big thing for me with this book that that kept me engaged because not only and this I'll get into my next thing if you if you don't have anything else no, on this go topic, ahead. but by all means it kind of leads into it too is the reason why I stayed so engaged with this because you know I kind of Faulkner was a little touch and go yeah. with, with the streaming yeah. consciousness stuff of of keeping me engaged. This worked really well because of how it was written. And if there's one thing that I can compliment Virginia Woolf on above all other is just the style with which she writes and the descriptive nature of how emotions sort of just become like elements of the weather and elements just of nature. They're ve- they have a very like element of nature feel uh, that ties in kind of with everything in this book. And I, I even looked it up afterwards after reading this book because it was I think one of the things that I guess she's known for is. Uh, it's a little thing called Homeric simile. I had no idea what this was. Okay, before, you're gonna have to explain that to me, or at least in general so, terms. Yeah, or, or otherwise known as epic similes. And you'll kind of see you you will probably think about it when you read the book. But normally, when you think of a simile, right, it's it's something is like this, and yes. you're trying to compare things that aren't necessarily compared to try to create a better understanding for maybe people that don't 
necessarily understand the situation or just use it as a means of kind of describing things in a more elegant way. Sure. Well, a Homeric simile is kind of like that, but instead of saying something is like this, it says something is like this, but it uses, you know, like three or four different sentences. It uses, it's very long winded. And that's not to say long winded in a bad way, because if it's done poorly, like you seem to have thought maybe in, uh, in uh, blood meridian in some instances where you had similes and things that just sort of dragged on and maybe yeah. weren't necessarily cognizant or even super necessary. I think in this book, it does wonders for me for helping me kind of get out of the whole like, wow, this is a lot of like stream of conscious stuff and more into yeah. like, wow, this is in like very, very descriptive in nature and just like kind of, I don't know, it, it that really helps me with with thinking about emotions on a different level than just kind of reading it and taking it in and moving on to the next one. So I, I don't know. I, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on just the overall like style behind this book I, with how it was written. And I know some of it, too, with the language, you know, this was an early 20th century book. So some of the stuff was kind of like, huh, like I had to get with the uh, <laughs> with the with the with I don't know, the word usage. And, yeah. And just that those sort of choices. But once you kind of get accustomed to that, I really, really, really loved the 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 way the book was written yeah i think i think there is a certain sort of um like lyrical nature to like her word choice and stuff and you know i don't know how much of that is just sort of like posterity is the right word but um you know just sort of using words that are outside of our our normal vocabulary and encountering those things um but even to the point where, you know, she's she is building, um, you know, complex sentences and, you know, similar to to the Homeric similes, um, sort of in the same vein as her like stream of consciousness, she often deviates within like sentences as she's like describing something. Yeah. She'll like, you know go off and, and sort of like, oh my God, there's there's a bird running across the lawn right yeah. now. And, and the, the bird is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in the world. And, you know, James uh, is probably upstairs looking at that and I need to go back upstairs. Which and, is, you know, whatever. Which, which I think is, an again, an honest representation of how human beings sort of interact with the, exactly. the world around them. Exactly. It can and, be confusing to read for sure, but once you kind of get past that hurdle, yeah. And so this is this was the coolest part to me, like after after I read the book, then um, and I started doing my research and I mentioned it earlier. One of the things that that she did to sort of prepare herself to write in this in this style was she sat down and and sort of took notes on the way that she thought. So I, I decided this this last week with uh, with all the stuff that I've got going on in my personal life that I was going to try like meditating. Yeah. And so like I, I read all this stuff online about it and uh, you know s- sort of what to do, what not to do and one of the one of the pieces of advice is, you know, is that basically you're going to fail. Like the idea is sort of to clear your mind and you know kind of be in the moment and stuff. Yeah. But at first you're you're going to sit there and you're going to think about, you know, all these tangential things and it um, one of the best pieces of advice that, that I saw out there was that, you know, at first just become aware of like of this and sort of how you, uh, how you go off in all these different directions, even when you're trying not to do anything, yeah. um, at all. And, you know, from that, then you can start to sort of focus in on, you know, on different things, um, to try to, to clear your mind or, or to, to push out distraction. So then I, I read that about, you know, her um, just seriously spending time with herself and sort of like um, trying to, uh, I don't want to say narrate, but observe her her own sort of thought pattern. What are the yeah. sort of things that she went through? So I thought that was, that was such a fascinating way of, 
um, trying to even get into writing in this style. It made me appreciate some of the things that I frankly didn't like about her, her the the whole stream of consciousness yeah. you know, narrative style a bit more, just because it's it's a pretty dedicated thing. I mean, I, I tried to meditate for 10 minutes and I couldn't think about anything useful um, or, or not think about anything, I should say. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm the, I'm the same way. It's rough, like, at bedtime trying to just get myself to go to sleep. It's exactly I what it is, I have to just man. wait until I'm exhausted to just pass out because I just, yeah. so many things you can't, it, it's really hard to hyper-focus on one thing or to try to clear your mind of thinking about anything. So. Yeah, and and everybody is like that. That's the that's the thing that I think is is really universally appealing. Um, you know, there obviously there are people that, you know, can just sort of go to bed everywhere or whatever, but, you know, at some point, all of us have had the experience of just laying in bed and being just batshit tired and not being able to fall asleep because, you know, we think, ah, did I lock the front door? I should have sent the this email differently. Just bombarded by thought. Yeah. What What about my eighth grade girlfriend? Like, I wonder. Like, seriously, yeah, your mind's yeah. a weird, comes, weird like freaking yeah, place. All over the place. So you know, she does. She does capture that, and and you know, I I appreciated that. Um, sort of about about her writing style. I, I think she's very true to the the um the mania that goes on in our own heads, but also without being quite as like abrupt as like McCarthy was sure um and and not not to compare the the two styles but um she felt very purposeful in what she was doing yeah. even though it was at times you know a bit a bit chaotic yeah um one of the other things that that I was uh, I was thinking of was the the lighthouse itself um, so, you know, early, early on in, in the window part, you know, James is wanting to go to the lighthouse, you know, that's sort of the one thing that sort of carried through to, to the end of this. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, he f- finally goes and it is not, you know, what he, what he envisioned from afar, um, you know, in, in his childhood. And, you know, I, th- I think it's ironic Sometimes, um, because there, we have a lot of impressions like that as we get older. A, a, a small one from from my life. Uh, my my grandparents lived at this house um, that I visited when I was probably you know between the ages of well born and uh, probably four. I think they sold it, and I remember the driveway being like super steep, like it was a hill. Yeah. And uh, I went I went back when we moved back to Texas. Uh, would have been probably 12 years, 13 years after. And, you know, I was, I was almost in college at that point and, uh, went past the house and it is flat. Like there's a little bit of elevation, but you know, nothing, it it is not a hill by any means. Yeah. And so it's, it's interesting sometimes like how your perception one, uh, you know, can change as you get older. But then, you know, two, how, you know, as a, as a kid, um, or not even as a kid, as a person, you can sometimes uh, sort of ha- build an impression of, of what something is. And then when you experience that or you attain that, it's not all it was chalked up to be. And I, I wondered how you, how you felt about that that sort of theme or concept or if there maybe there is something that that you've encountered I mean yeah countless things where you obviously have an expectation of something and it kind of drives your reality to a point 
that when you actually reach a goal or experience something for the first time or just kind of are confronted by maybe a memory that you had about something that it's it does it's it's not necessarily a letdown but it's very much different than than what you had had previously expected and i think that that's just kind of a i don't know that's 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 just an uh you know we've talked a little bit about the sort of the imperfections of memory and and i think a lot plays into that as well when you're looking kind of retrospectively on the things that you thought when you were a child or when you were younger or sort yeah. of the misremembering of of exactly how things happened is the flip side of that is sort of you know before you get to that point where you just have these sort of expectations and you know i guess an easy an easy comparison i can do is the roth book you know i had certain expectations where that book was and i set it up to be a lot of something that it that it wasn't and when we actually read it and i got through it you know it certainly it seemed like a letdown to me and that isn't necessarily reflective and one of my biggest you know i even said this to you off off episodes is one of my biggest regrets on this podcast so far i think was was donating the roth book i think maybe i'd been a little bit too much on that Still, it's already, you know, it's in the podcast. It's donated yeah. for me, and you have my copy still on your bookshelf. <laughs> That's so. true, I do, because um, I gave my copy away. Yeah, so, yeah, no, I can totally I can totally um, see that. The Lighthouse, to me, though, at least in the first little bit, in, in the window, was kind of, you're introduced to the Ramseys, and you have these, like, like very kind of different personality styles between Mr. and Mrs. Ramsey, you know, where yeah. she's more kind of the warm and caring, and he's very sort of distant and factual and... Traditional gender roles of the era. Yeah, it doesn't really take sort of not not a high degree of emotional intelligence, as we would say now, as far as just understanding and empathizing and things like that. Just very kind of, here's what it is. I'm being honest with you. And, you know, and the lighthouse is sort of that central point between them. That's kind of that that. I don't know, between those sorts of expectations, at least that's what I kind of got. It was this lighthouse was just sort of that like central figure, at least maybe to James, that would kind of differentiate his his mom and his dad and. You know, we don't get to see a whole lot um, because Miss Ramsey passed away. We obviously don't get her at the the second end of the book, but right, seemingly that you know, you know, you constantly have that friction between James and, and Mister Ramsey, and whether or not actually going to the lighthouse ten years later is this like big reconciliation or big sort of you know understanding on James's part as to you know it's it's not necessarily this huge divide, even though he still kind of felt that way within himself sort of the way that he felt whenever his father first told him that he couldn't go. And he was, you know, like, <laughs> I want to fire poker and ask right. to just lodge in your chest for destroying this dream of mine. But yeah, that was in the first couple pages. Yeah, was like, that was, it was oh, one of those. Wow. Okay. Yeah. We're All getting right. into this book here, but yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, I did feel that that was, that was sort of represent like representative of, uh, of a little bit of that sort of nature that we have of, of creating expectations of, you know, what we're to experience or, or even, I guess, for, you know, Mrs. Ramsey creating these sort of expectations of who she is as a mom and like just sort of protecting and keeping her children, you know, happy and, and feeling safe and feeling in that like state where they, uh, you know, don't have to fear for the world around them. Because I know a lot of this is, you know, it's the time period, too, where, where this is right at the start of World War One, I, I believe, or at least, you know, we learned yeah, that. yeah. Was it Alvin? Gosh, who was it? And I, that's uh, it was. I think it was Alvin that died. That died, one, that died yeah. in World War One. But yeah, I mean, so I understand that a lot from her perspective too. Is this sort of I want to manage these expectations, set these expectations for my children. I want to protect them. I want to, you know, kind of have this this sort of safety. She wanted the windows open so they could see and enjoy the world, and the doors closed to kind of keep them safe. Like right. that's that's what I kind of got from that too. 
So yeah, in a lot of ways, it, it did feel like that was very much a representation of those those expectations. Yeah, and you know, I, I think the other thing that we we need to talk about for sure is is just the um the the gender roles right yeah and and so like there's there's a ton of stuff in here that we could talk about um the one that that immediately comes to mind um is is sort of uh lily gets sort of talked down by by charles tansley yeah about you know women can't be professionals they you know th- they can't be artists and and all of this kind of Writers stuff i, f- I forget and, yeah. exactly what he says uh, at, that's the at, gist the, at the dinner. That's yeah, I mean, he's he's an a hole. Um, the atheist. That's that's such a yeah. like that's such a funny, a funny nickname. But, um, uh, anyway, so you know, she's she's sort of in this time where, uh, women obviously can do these things. I don't think that's that's in dispute. Um, but it's it's sort of frowned upon, right? And um, yeah, I feel like you did kind of have that area of turnover big time right as far and, as but but perception in that charles tansley was very complimentary of of mrs ramsey when they had to go into town right like he he had this sort of great uh satisfaction of just you know being with her because because she was beautiful yeah and you sort of you have these these different um sort of uh reactions to 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 gender roles right and and tansley was very adversarial toward toward lily um you know with with her professional stuff and I, I think it's it's interesting because you know if you if you take a step back and you consider that Wolf probably experienced some of those those things um you know throughout her career almost certainly yeah um you know as 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 a writer um and you know even some of that stuff persists today i mean we 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 talked about it uh in last week's episode over bluebird bluebird and and racism um, and you know, we've, we've certainly made progress with, you know, women's rights and stuff, but one of the hot button topics today is like the gender pay gap, right? Is that, you know, still, um, there is some sort of persistent, even if it's accidental, give people the benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. uh, y- you know, difference between men and women. And there, there is, there is still very much gender bias, um, when it comes to all, all sorts of things. And, you know, I, I always find it interesting when you run into themes like this uh, in books. I mean, this was written or uh, released, I think, in 1927, mm-hmm. uh, that we're almost 100 fucking years later and we're still struggling with some of these these same things. And, you know, uh, you would think in 100 years you could make progress on just about anything. And, and certainly we have made substantial progress, but there are still some basic, you know, sort of things that are, uh, that are missing um, sometimes, uh, or at least worth having a conversation over, is maybe the more diplomatic way of of saying it. Um, but uh, I don't, did you have a reaction to you know either the way that um, that women were sort of needed, like you know Mr. Ramsey needing sort of the emotional support, or the way that that Charles acted toward toward Lily? Um, in, in any of this, or did you have thoughts about how that, that tied into modern stuff? The the big thing that I saw was kind of the like role reversal, or at least from a traditional kind of role reversal between Lily and Mr. Ramsey at the beginning of the book and the end of the book. Yeah. You know, at the beginning of the book, he's kind of this very like, you know, he, he is very just sort of factual and he's always in his thoughts and he's brooding and walking around and she's yep. kind of partaking in arts. And then towards the end of the book, you know, it seems like he's like seeking out, you know, 
like uh, sympathies from her. It's yeah. like, you know, described as kind of like a child. Like he's almost played that, that role of what's, you know, typically described as like, you know, petulant, like feminine characteristics negatively right. in that, even though I don't think that that's necessarily inherently just that. But I thought that was interesting more so to me that it was kind of, again, when you look at sort of the difference between Miss Ramsey and and, and uh, Lily, and then you look at kind of the dynamic between Lily and Mr. Ramsey from the beginning to the end of the book, is you do kind of see this like divergence from that. Sure. Divergence, uh, especially just kind of from that traditional idea. And uh, yeah, I thought that was interesting. I mean, the Tansley stuff was just kind of like to be expected, I think. And yeah. I, you know, again, if we're taking a lot of the idea that art imitates life, then maybe that's sort of Wolf getting out there that it's, you know, this is the sort of stuff that she's had to face. Yeah. So this is the sort of 100%. stuff that, and that's again, not surprising to me at, at all in the slightest. When you look at kind of the things that she's writing about and, you know, the time period that, yeah, I could imagine that she would be looked down on by, by colleagues or at least dismissed by, by yeah. people that felt that because she was a woman, she was not as capable as her peers. Although, you know, having read the book, like she's clearly a very capable she's writer, extremely very, capable. Um, so yeah, I, I felt that that was a little bit of that and that more so the interesting thing to me was kind of the divergence between Lily and Mr. Ramsey at the beginning towards the, uh, the end. But no, I agreed that there is kind of, you know, in any, in any instance, you know, there are sort of dynamics and, and hierarchies that are kind of, uh, I don't know, that are always in need of like investigation or at least like rational yeah. thought put into like, why is this the way that it is? And why do we feel this way about this? And why do we feel this way about that? And I think it's super important that everyone be very cognizant about and, and think about these sorts of things and understand that, you know, perceptions are things that you feel aren't necessarily like indicative of reality and that you should always be open to the idea of investigating kind of the things that you set up in your mind and the things that you feel like, well, this is just kind of, <laughs> this is the way that things work. And so that's just what we're going to go with. Well, why, why do we go with that? What if right. we did this? Right. Like, I, I think it's always important to be very open and, and challenging towards, towards ideas like that, because I think that that's, you know, your responsibility as, as an adult and a human being to be, I don't know, to be, just challenging to always to always challenge the things that that are perceived as norms or the things that you thought because you know there's no way to truly ever sort of not, even if even if by challenging something you further reinforce why it's in place like whether it's sure things that we believe or things that we feel by challenging it you can you do one of two things you either get a better understanding of why it's there and why it's important or you understand the the flawed nature behind it and at least can understand the things necessary in place to kind of work towards fixing it and correcting yeah. it and changing it and having a better positive outlook for everyone involved. So yeah, I think it is, it is interesting. You know, that's, that's what makes good, good books beyond just like, Oh, this is a cool nugget for me to think about is just sort of relevant ideas that even though this book, you know, was written a hundred years ago, just about that a lot of the just revelations on human nature and human interaction and just the way that we perceive ourselves, the way that we perceive each other and kind of the pitfalls of that, it still exists and it will always exist because I think that that's inherent to a lot of like human nature. Um, it's just, it's one of those things. It's just kind of fascinating to try to understand um, why it exists and you know what, what you can do about it at least, yeah. at least on a personal level. So should we get into our ratings? We can get into the right. If you, you don't have anything else about this, man, I, I could, I could talk about a lot of stuff I'll, here, but, um, I think that, uh, you know, 
if people want to get into all these these other conversations, we've only scratched the surface of, sure. of themes in this, especially like the the feminism and, and gender roles and all of that kind of stuff, which you know I, I think is is a huge thing that uh, that is worth reading. So I would I would encourage people you know to go out and, and there's plenty of literary criticism and, and analysis on you know Virginia Woolf's stuff in general uh, to the lighthouse. There's there's definitely some things out there and there's some some things that we just don't have time to touch on. Um, so yeah, uh, I was trying to remember yes. the name of the book by Virginia Woolf. That's kind of just heralded as like a really big sort of feminist uh, early, early 20th century. And it's uh, a room of one's own. I think the background behind it is just sort of thinking about, uh, I guess like an equally as talented uh, sister of Shakespeare and kind of how that would transpire within that time. So interesting. If, if, I don't know if, if you pick up this book and you really like that, then that might be something that's up your alley as well too. Yeah. All right. But ratings, let's get into ratings. Ratings. Um, I'll go first. Okay. While you can think about this. Um, I'm definitely going to keep it. Uh, like I, I think we've kind of expounded upon enough in this book, as far as the, the ideas that it presents and sort of the reflection that you can get from this book on your own thoughts and feelings that it's, it's certainly worthy of keeping it. Um, as far as my criteria for where it lands on the shelf, I don't know if I can say it's a universal recommendation because I think that it's very much, um, I think the enjoyment level very much depends on how much of kind of uh, an analysis uh, type of reader. Yeah. If, you, if you're very much into sort of literary analysis, I think you'll enjoy this book. If you're very much looking for kind of a traditional narrative, you won't. Right. Um, it it doesn't check all of my kind of things that I personally look for in a book. And so I think that's going to keep it off the top shelf. The question is whether I want to put it on the middle or bottom shelf. Mm. Um, it's really close for me. Uh, it's one of those books that I could definitely see myself going back and rereading. I think it has some reread potential in it. Um, God, this is tough. I think I'm going to put it on the bottom shelf. And my sister's going to hate this for, or hate me for this. Uh, I'm going to put it on the bottom shelf. I, I genuinely think there that this book is it's very much dependent on the person that I would be suggesting it to because yeah. this could be a top shelf book for uh, certain people and you know not at all for for others. So I'm gonna put it on my bottom shelf. There's a lot that I did take out of this book, um, but just from a traditional kind of what I'm looking for in the books that I read, there is a lot still there to be desired. Kind of yeah, bottom shelf. I feel bad. Yeah, so I I mean I agree. Like like I said earlier, the the aesthetic quality for me just just isn't there. It's not really an enjoyable read. I before the show was pretty sure that I was going to donate it just because um as as I sort of approach my my bookshelf, I sort of I, I sort of see it as like uh, a legacy, if you will, something that if if I leave behind um just the books on my bookshelf that it it is going to say something about you know what i valued and what you know i think is important for other people to know yeah. and to pass on so as i sort of had that that uh that thought i've i've decided that i'm going to keep it i'm also going to put it on the bottom shelf and i th i think that i would i would read something else by her in hopes that you know, there, there is something that, that I would maybe, uh, appreciate a bit more. I, I, I appreciated the themes in this book and I, th I think it hits on things that, you know, we haven't touched from, uh, a thematic perspective on the podcast at all. 
and isn't well represented in in anything else that you know really we even have planned. So I'm a, I'm I think everything that she says is important, um, and for that reason, it has a place on on my shelf. And you know, I'll, I will go back at some point and read something else, and maybe I'll replace it with uh, with what was the book you mentioned? Oh, a room of one's own. Yeah. Oh, well, or, she has or she has else. a few she has a few nonfiction. I'd be interested to read some nonfiction by her. Yeah, I think that would be. Um, something I would probably seek out first before going back for another work of her fiction. Yeah, so I mean, not not a not a bad choice. I am happy to have read her. I'm, you know, it's it's one of those one of those writers that you you hear the name and you're like, okay, I I know, you know, I should I should have read Virginia Woolf in one of my classes. I mean, shit, I took two classes in like English lit, like pre and post, like eighteen. Some whatever, I don't know, 1880, I think was the yeah. cutoff point, and uh, I feel like that should have been that should have been on there, and uh, it wasn't. So uh, I'm glad to I'm glad to have read her for sure. Let's talk next books. Books, yes, that is plural because um, we're gonna give a, we're gonna give a little bit more out in advance. It's gonna be a nice fall and winter collection for us. I think there's still a book or two that we're maybe thinking about for spots, but we actually do have a lot of books kind of planned out to finish out and round out this year for us. Um, but we got to start with the uh, next episode's book, which is your pick. Yes. So that's what we're gonna start with. We're gonna start with your 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 next book. All right. So. You know, David Sedaris is is our our next our next writer. the The book is "Let's Explore Diabetes with Owls." So I just want to interject yes. here really quick. Yes, because whenever you presented this book to me, I said, oh, "David Sedaris." That name sounds really familiar. Yeah. I never, I had never really heard of David Sedaris or read anything by him. But I remember my exposure uh-huh. to David Sedaris came in the form of a YouTube video that I remember seeing of oh maybe ten years ago. It yeah, was a little comedy skit called House Porsche. <laughs> and if any of our uh, any of our listeners are currently at a at a computer, go ahead and type that into YouTube House Porsche. Watch that video, and you'll know where I'm coming from. Uh, pretty Just, much blind yeah. into this first book with this. It was uh, it was quite the exposure for Sedaris. But and, and, please continue. And also, before you read this book, I think it is it is worthy uh, to to YouTube uh, some of the interviews he's had. Um, you know, he's, he's a, a prolific writer, um, very well respected, um, has won a lot of awards in his career, but, uh, somebody that I didn't read until after college. And, um, he came to Dallas, uh, to do a reading and I thought, well, you know, whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll read one of his books. And, and I, I picked one up and I think it was, uh, me talk pretty one day. And, uh, the one thing that I didn't understand before I read the book was his sort of sense of humor. And I think you should go watch a YouTube video of, of him like in an interview. He is a quirky guy um, that just kind of does his own his yeah. own thing. And I think once you see even a few seconds of that, his books make a lot more sense because you, you get into sort of his narrative style and you know why he's telling you these weird stories about his family and himself yeah. in the first place. Um, so it is, it is, uh, you know, essays, uh, or it is a collection of essays. Uh, it is nonfiction. He does write about, you know, his, his family and his father and all of this kind of stuff. Um, I, it's the first funny book that, that we've read. I, you know, I, I think it's, it's, I actually, I, I struggled to find it and it was yeah. located in the humor section yes. by all the like joke books that you can read on the toilet. 
or whatever. I, not that I'm associating yeah. this with that, but I just found it interesting that that's where it was nestled away. So I'm expecting. Yeah, things. book associations are weird. Book publishers have all weird fucking ideas. I about just walk into half right books. Where's your narrative nonfiction section? Yeah. I'm like, sir, we don't have that section. Yeah. All right, it's fine. I'll find uh, it. So. I'm I'm excited about this, uh, and and uh, I, I'm hoping that you enjoy it. I I don't even know how that conversation is going to go next episode, but yeah, so it's going to be super super funny. I so think. next episode we've got let's explore let's explore had a little moment there diabetes <laughs> with owls by David Sedaris. Yes. Then afterwards is my pick again. And yes. We're going old school. Okay. I've 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 keep I keep throwing out these old school books because yeah. you're you're my contemporary guy and you've got some other contemporaries lined up. But I did notice the timing of my next episode is going to is gonna sort of be right around Halloween. Okay. And I thought, man, let's get spooky. On, okay. Uh, let's get spooky on Better the Bookshelf. And we're going to do it in an interesting way. We're going to do uh, three short stories, actually. Um, two of them by Washington Irving, one of them by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Uh, the first one is probably very well heard of it's the legend of sleepy hollow yeah uh by washington irving uh but the other two that we're going to get into are going to be uh the devil and tom walker and young goodman brown and all of these stories are kind of you know early 19th late 18th century taking place kind of in the in new england sort of in that very macabre feeling time period like puritanical ideology right about sort yeah. of the devil and his influences on on people and behavior and things like that so it'll be interesting so again three short stories they're super short i mean i think altogether they're under 100 pages so it should be a nice episode as far as uh just getting everything in and and, and talking about the differences or maybe sort yeah. of the, the common themes because this will be the first one where we kind of have very abrupt different stories yeah for sure on. so again yeah legend of sleepy hollow uh, the Devil and Tom Walker and Young Goodman Brown. First two by Washington Irving and the last one by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Excellent. And, and normally that's where we'd leave off, but we're not wait, done yet. But wait, there's more. Uh, so also sort of a Halloweeny uh, idea. Um, um, the book after that for episode 17 is going to be The Night Country by Stuart Onan. And actually one of my... Um, one of my professors in college put me on to Stuart Onan. Um, we actually read this book for one of the classes. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I liked it. Um, but I didn't read it that diligently. Um, because at that point we were, uh, like I said, we were taking th- like three different lit classes at once. And I was literally reading like three or four books, um, a week, um, to try to keep up. So, I'm excited to reread this one with my my full dedication, and it, it's 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 about a uh, a group of students who gets in a car accident and sort of the um, the collateral damage to their families and 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 stuff around that, and there's sort of some ghost and uh, ties to that. So yeah. I, f- I figured it was good for that that time Still period counts. as well. So I'm excited about that. Night Country by Stuart Onan uh, will be episode 17. Yes. And then episode 18, I'm still undecided on okay. um, on that book. But I know you have a book afterwards that episode. Or wait, is that 18? Yeah, the 18 is yours. That's TBD. And then 19, 19. is, is uh, Cathedral, um, which will be our first short story collection. That's by Raymond Carver. Yeah. Uh, 
and I'm, I'm super excited to do some short stories. I don't know how we're going to structure that one yet for discussion. This but will, I, I feel like our I feel like the Hawthorne and uh, Irving one will be a nice little yeah. attempt at that, although those are going to kind of probably have a more central theme. This will just be like short stories. Yeah, but Carver uh, has a certain style, um, and there, there are definitely some ones that... Uh, that are more famous that we should talk about. And okay. then, um, you know, we'll, we'll maybe go off the rails a bit uh, other than that. And then, um, after that is my pick. Yes. And again, things have just lined up so beautifully for me and perfect that I end up having my picks right around different holiday seasons. And I thought, what better book as I'm slowly sliding this small book up from behind the, the monitor of your laptop. Yes. What better book would it, would, would our first ever Christmas, in, in quotation marks, Christmas end of year sort of episode be if we didn't read A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens? Oh, beautiful. A story that <laughs> we've heard probably countless times. I couldn't tell you how many times I've seen a Muppet Christmas Carol. I've sure. Seen, I've seen the play a few times, but I've never read the book. Okay. And I, you know, I always feel like whenever you have those sort of translations to other media, it, it doesn't quite encapsulate what you get from the actual source material and reading the book. So all right, Dickens for, it is for good old Christmas joy. We're going to get our Ebenezer Scrooge on and we're going to read a Christmas Carol. And I could just tell the way that you're looking at this right now that you are so enthused about that. I'm, I'm, it's not, it's not the book. It's the way you're slinging it around with such excitement. I, I was am afraid excited. You were knock something. I'm excited because I get to have sort of not genre fiction, but I get to sort of pick, I, I got the two sort of holiday episodes. Yeah. You, I think that they're very much, like I said at the beginning of the show, I love kind of the fall and into the winter. Cause I feel like it highlights just so much what I think about when I think about like storytelling and yeah. when I think about reading and, and, and things like that. And holidays play a big part in that. I always kind of associate holidays with different stories and different sort of ideas and things. And so for sure, I, it's going to be interesting. So we got, we got a good little bit of, of books coming up a few spots that are still TBD, but we'll have those updated soon enough when we figure out what we're going to throw in there. Fair enough. Uh, and you know, we're still open to recommendations. Uh, sci-fi is still on my radar. I, th- I think probably around the new year we'll, we'll, Maybe one of my my selections will be uh, yeah. a sci fi book to get that back around. But you know, if if any of our listeners have you know something that that we feel or they feel like we should be reading, uh, tweet us at yeah. Better Bookshelf. Uh, that's about the only way you can get a hold of us right now. Uh, well, I guess you, you could know com- us, yeah. Unless you know us, or you could comment on on SoundCloud, I suppose. Yeah, um, or if you follow us on Instagram. Yeah, at, at, on our individual accounts. Our what is individual. what is yours again? Uh, mine is at Turderperperper, and uh, <laughs> I'm not going to spell it. If you can find it, great. If you can't, I'm sorry. Yeah, and you could just find me because I retweet everything that at Better Bookshelf uh, posts. So yeah. uh, that is this week's episode. Thank you for listening. Next time we have Let's Explore Diabetes with Owls by David Sedaris. And until next time. Thank you.